you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, we've got our eyes on some big after-hours moves in Palo Alto Networks. We're listening in on the earnings call, bringing you all the details, plus a Bitcoin breakthrough. The crypto briefly crossing the key $50,000 mark for the first time since May. Our Bitcoin baller will break down where the digital coin is going next. And speaking of crypto, crypto punk NFTs are rocking out in a big way thanks to a big move from a major pay player. What is behind the craze? Can it last? But well, we start off with a big green light for the markets. The S&P and Dow jumping today. The Nasdaq setting a new record close as Pfizer gets full FDA approval for its COVID vaccine. The move opening the door for broad max, uh, vaccine mandates. President Biden today calling on more private employers to require workers to get a shot. That after New York City public schools and the Pentagon made similar calls for their staff. So what will vaccine mandates mean for the reopening trade, they were on fire today, Guy, for good reason. It's a, it's a, hi, Mel. Hi. How are you? I, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, that's the news. That's the headline we're talking about. I thought on Friday when you saw that the Fed was going virtual at Jackson Hole, I actually, mm. in my crazy mind, I'm like, that's a very bullish sign for the market. Why? Because they're going virtual. It talks about maybe they got some air cover on the back of this. Who knows? But obviously, this headline that we're talking about now makes all the difference. We've thought for a while that Big Cat Farm is the place to be. What does it mean for the reopening trade? I'm surprised. Like, if there's going to be a mandate, you could go one of two ways in terms of the airline trade and the reopening trade and the casinos. Today, the market took it as a positive. We could have an easy conversation about how maybe that could be a potential negative going forward. I'm not sure. I will say this. Market does not stay down. We say it all the time. You know, these two-day sell-offs are met by buying. We're going to be making all-time high in a week, and that's exactly what we're seeing now. You raised your hand. Unbelievable. Am I allowed to call on you or no? Yes, I no, allow, you, Lee, I allow you to call on me, and that is what, what is the negative side of having a vaccine if mandate there's a for vac- these trades? Well, in the world we live in today, vaccine mandates are going to be met by half the country. Well, maybe not half the country, but a vast majority or vast percentage of the country pushing back and saying Uh, unconstitutional where's our freedom and you can make just an easy argument there's going to be an uproar over this in terms of having to show your vaccine card at restaurants at an airport at a casino at a cinema very interesting argument Yeah, it definitely has the potential to slow a lot of activity that i think you know we were talking about this last week when tom lee was on and i thought that you know the setup into september like last year was not particularly late high level or not great high levels of complacency tom's been very right tom's bought every single dip and we've mentioned this the dips are getting shallower and shallower it's been i don't know 210 days since we've had a five percent peak to drop decline the one we had on delta in july and the s&p 500 was maybe three and a half this one was two and a half and here we are at new all-time highs. I, I guess the point is, I would say that I would have expected some of those reopening trades to act better today, and they didn't. I think the oil bounce was somewhat of a technical thing. It seemed like a short-covering thing. And you said green light for the stock markets. I'd say red light for the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at 1.25%. Can't get out of its own way. And I don't think Bitcoin at 50000 is particularly bullish for stocks either. Hmm. Brian Kelly, what do you say to that? Oh, that's kind of, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, Bitcoin has acted as a pro-cyclical 
inflation hedge. It has had a bit of a run. I am skeptical, however, in general, that it was the Pfizer news that got the market going today. I mean, you know, you've got people taking dewormers. I don't think they're going to be reading through the FDA, uh, the FDA report on the vaccine. They're just not going to take it. We also know that there's a lot of breakthroughs happening. So to me, it is more about central bank action. That's what today was all about. So you have the PBOC have a meeting yesterday saying, listen, we're going to support credit growth. It's not going to go to the big companies, but it's going to go to the small companies. That's a reversal in their pattern that they've had. You've had Fed governors potentially walk back a little bit. The PMIs today were sufficiently weak enough to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we're not going to get a really hawkish statement at the Jackson Hole meeting today. And to me, that's the green light for the risk trade. And that's what today's market was all about. I mean, it could be a little bit of both here. I mean, if, if you believe that the Fed mm -hmm. is going to take this opportunity for a pause because they've got some cover, they're going virtual from Jackson Hole later this week. Rates will stay lower. The taper will, will be held off for a while. But at the same time, you have vaccine mandates going into effect. You've got an unreluctant, uh, reluctant, excuse me, public who were waiting for FDA approval perhaps to get the vaccine. They finally got the green light to do that, Tim. Maybe this is all a recipe for the markets. Well, it all works. It's all about the Fed. I don't care. Uh, you know, like I care. Well, restate. I care a lot about Delta variants. I care a lot about social issues as a human being. But I'm a markets guy, and and I care only about the Fed. Uh, I think Kaplan walking back some of those comments was important. I think if you look at where the market really was rallying today, I'm in agreement with a couple of the points here. Uh, I don't. I don't see bond yields telling me that there's a significant growth dynamic at work. I don't see transports industrials really recovering, and the outperformance by the semis today to me is a slower growth for longer trade that I think is is. Uh, unsettling for some of the more cyclical parts of the economy. I, I believe there are opportunities in the industrials. I think a lot of them are oversold. We're going to talk possibly about autos. We're going to talk about some of the energy names. But I do think this is all about the Fed. Um, I think it's a catalyst to uh, to wake up with the Pfizer news. And certainly the market needs that. Uh, I think if you look at the market over the last three months, we had those Two to five percent pullbacks. Look at the VIX. The VIX is down after moving 40 percent in three days uh, towards the end of the previous week. We basically are giving most of that back. And I think we're going to get even lower on the VIX as we get into that Fed meeting. So I think it was about getting those Fed minutes behind us last week. They were what they were. Um, I think if nothing else, the market doesn't have to focus on the Fed, especially with Jackson Hole possibly not being as meaningful. So that's what it's about to me. It's all Fed all the time. So what happens to inflation now? Inflation has been perhaps transitory, perhaps not, Guy. Um, if this is somehow a green light, then what happened? Uh, BK, I think, was pointing his, his uh, thumb up. BK, yeah, I, I'm with the BK. Yeah. I think, B, you know, it's interesting. I'm with BK on this one. I think mm -hmm. inflation, I, listen, you know where I feel about the transitory thing. I think it's a lot of horse hockey for you Sherman T. Potter fans out there. And I think inflation is going to be a problem. There are a lot of people that believe that as well. I'm surprised that 10-year yields are 125. I think they should be higher. But you've got a lot of push-me-pull-you, Dr. Doolittle stuff going on here. You, you follow that? You, did you watch yeah, the Dr. Yeah, I mean, you Doolittle got a lot of references kid? there. In well, I mean, that was, by the way, I think that was Rex Harrison that played the role of Dr. Doolittle for you playing our home game. I think rates should be higher. I think rates are going to go higher on the back of this news. I'm surprised it didn't happen today. Yeah, I, I mean, if that's your view, and if rates are going to go higher to combat inflation, right, and that means the Fed is going to start to taper, so maybe they just, Jackson Hole's a non-event. People don't get to hang out. They don't get the boondoggle, so maybe they don't give you anything, right? And then we get into September, and we have market at all-time highs.
rise. The S&P is going to be up, what, 20% or something like that. And maybe that's when it happens. Listen, I'm not calling this because I think it's a fun thing for things to do. I just don't think it's particularly healthy considering we know is going to happen in the next three to six months or whatever. And so, again, I go back to yields. We've been talking about it all year. The bond market sniffed the inflation story out back in March and April. I think you want to continue to watch the bond market. That doesn't mean that the S&P 500 is just off to the races because lower yields, higher stocks. At some point, we're going to have to put a little fear back in equity investors' minds. BK, has your view of of inflation and where it's headed changed at all, given uh, the events from, from, you know, in terms of Jacksonville going virtual plus um, full FDA approval for Pfizer's vaccine compared to before? No. No, I think we have higher inflation. I mean, if we look at what's going on, we actually, I think we end up with stagflation. That's the environment I think we end up with. Low growth, high prices of stuff. If I look at um, shipping, it's hard to get ships. If I look at how long it takes to get uh, goods from China to here, it's from 47 days now up to 70 days. You can't get containers. Uh, there's a staffing shortage. Everywhere I look, there's a shortage, shortage, shortage. And now all of a sudden, you're just going to put more money or keep pumping money at that. It ha- I mean, that, that's how inflation happens. And so we've had a little bit of a pullback in some of the commodity trades, but I think that's normal and natural. And I think we're in a stagflationary environment because I also think that there is a limit on the economic growth for this economy. Our next guest also believes in the stagflation scenario. Let's bring in Peter Bookvar of the Bleakley Advisory Group, and he's also a CNBC contributor. Um, Peter, great to have you with us. What could the Fed do at this point? So I, I think that Friday will be a non-event, and they'll, they'll absorb the information over the next month. Kids going back to school. To what extent uh, parents who are caregivers go back to work? What happens with the labor market after the unemployment benefits expire after Labor Day? Uh, where does the Delta variant go with a million people now every day getting vaccinated and a lot of the numbers rolling over? But what to what extent do kids get affected? So thinking they're going to take this. That said, monetary policy is positioned where it was a year ago before we even knew there was a vaccine. We have mega emergency policy that has resulted in this stagflationary environment that I do think, regardless of Delta, they need to start pivoting and they need to start to slowly uh, roll back these asset purchases because it really is monetary overload. And I like to talk about the two most interest rate sensitive parts of the economy, housing and autos. There's no issue with the demand side. The problem is as prices have gotten so high, shortages obviously all surrounded by that. And what good is is QE going to do? If someone wants to change their behavior because they're worried about Delta, QE is not going to offset that. So, Peter, if you're right about stagflation, BK believes this as well. That's something they, they being the federal, they can't combat that. With, and they will try, but they can't win. So to your point, be careful what you wish for. You might get the inflation part and inflation, but you're not going to get the growth that needs to be there to be commensurate with that. How does that sort itself out, in your opinion? Well, a stagflationary environment, which it's not a question of if we're going into one. We are in one right now. It's just a question of the extent of how long it lasts and how far it spreads. And no central banker right now in this modern day age of monetary activism has had to deal with this. For decades, they've had low inflation that has given them license to do whatever they wanted to do. So if stagflation takes hold, 
it will be handcuffs on the Fed. And what do they focus on? Will they focus on the stack part by keeping policy excessively easy still? Or do they focus on the inflation part? And but but with the consequences that that brings as well. So there's no easy choice here whatsoever. And the bottom line is, does Jay Powell want to be Arthur Burns or does he want to be Paul Volcker? Pierre, so if you get to any point here in the next week or month uh, or even year that the Fed has to pull back any liquidity, I think the markets have a disaster. Um, does the Fed, who's overly concerned, you've made this point very clear, uh, very concerned about asset bubbles, do anything to combat that dynamic. There's there's very little they can do. But I believe, especially last week, as we digested Fed minutes and it became almost a given that they're going to taper, that people felt that the taper was OK because the balance sheet was still growing. And I, I just don't agree with that. I think markets are going to be devastated. Well, if you look at the history of, of QE and when it was on, when it was off, every major correction in the stock market outside of COVID and the Chinese yuan devaluation in August 2015 was associated around ending QE, tapering QE, or raising interest rates. So the analogy I like to give is that, yeah, when, Q, when tapering takes place, air is still going to that, into that balloon. But it's less air going into the balloon, which means the balloon contracts. So, yes, there will be a correction associated with tapering, just as there always has been. Peter, thanks so much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Thank you. Peter Bookvar of the Bleakley Advisory Group. Um, Brian Kelly, it sounds like the Fed's in a pickle. Damned if you do, damned if you <laughs> yeah. don't. Yeah, they, they are, frankly. I mean, and, and let's talk about the other side. If they do create a, cor a correction because of tapering, then they're going to have to walk back that tapering because we have debt levels at all-time highs, and that implies that collateral levels have to be at all-time highs. So you can't have the collateral come down if you have this debt. So they have to come back. It's a terrible place for them to be. So, but the real question is we argue about that all day. How do you invest in this environment? For me right now, it seems as though equities are one place to be for the relatively short term. And we'll go back to Bitcoin. I would much rather have Bitcoin than bonds. So I'd buy Bitcoin and at some point, not today, be short bonds. Yeah. Tim? Well, I think you have a case where there is some room before the Fed has to do what they have to do. Leaving that aside, that July Fed minutes discussion came before a very strong payroll number that we got after that number and some very strong inflation numbers. Um, but look, as we have seen, industrials get oversold and they rally back. I don't like the charts here, but I think the underperformance of the industrials and the transports in the short run is something that needs to be rectified. I think this energy trade is also something. I mean, it, part of what we're talking about in the inflation side of this trade is that assets go higher. Um, even if growth goes sideways to lower or not as high to commensurate with inflation. So uh, I still like those trades. I think emerging markets are, are, are places where, uh, although the China headlines are terrible, the other parts of EM are actually in a very strong fiscal position to, to combat slower growth in the U.S. and a Fed that actually might be on the move. Yeah, I just go back to the one trade that has gone back and forth as rates have gone up and gone down and everything. And that is the, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100. We know that those top five, six names make up about half of it. I think everybody wants to buy those. I want to buy those. I actually want to sell my puts at some point really soon. And then I want to buy them again. But we just need a, a, like a reason to reload. I'm just saying it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to be buying highs when we know what the headwinds are and we know what the lack of clarity is right now. All right, we've got an earnings alert here on Palo Alto Networks. The stock is surging after reporting its results. Josh Lifton's got the details. Hey, Josh. 
So, Melissa, heading into this report, remember, this stock was up about 4% for the year. It was down, though, about 8% in the past month. It was also down about 8% from its all-time high. Now, though, as you said, surging here in the after hours is for the print beats on the bottom and top. For Q1 guidance, that was actually mixed. Guidance for the year, though, that was the highlight analyst saying above on both counts. Capital return news, too, authorized an additional 676.1 million share for repurchases and increasing the remaining authorization for future share repurchases to $1 billion. Dan Ives at Wedbush calling these blowout numbers after a choppy path over the past year. Dan says this shows, in his opinion, the story here is inflecting a great barometer, Dan says, for cybersecurity spending across this space. CEO Nikesh Aurora on the call saying that they continue to see cybersecurity events all around us, vulnerabilities exploited, ransomware attacks rising. Our platform is working against that backdrop, he says. As for growth for FY22, there is pent-up hardware demand, Aurora says, and we will benefit from continued cloud adoption as well. Work from home is a new normal, he says. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. And don't miss Jim's exclusive interview with the CEO of Palo Alto Networks coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. So let's trade this uh, big move in the after hours, Guy. Well, close about four. If it were to open and close about four or seven tomorrow, another all-time high in this name that, as Josh pointed out, has pulled back. But the names we continue to talk about along with this, Zscaler, ZS, made an all-time high today. That stock will rally on the back of this, as will FireEye. Tim talks about some of these names as well. We've tried to point out some of the value in the space. I know this is a crazy thought, but I think these things can continue to rally post Palo Alto Networks earnings. Well, you just said the word value. I mean, this it trades re- relatively cheaply. You know, it's basically like seven times sales for a big SaaS company like this, and that's essentially what it is. And we know the secular shift's going there. I know Guy has bought every dip in this thing over the last couple of years or so, but it really looks like it's ready to break out. All right, coming up, but Bitcoin booming today, touching the $50,000 mark for the first time since May. We're diving into that in just a few. But first, China Tech takes off, but should you believe this bounce? Or is there more pain ahead? You're watching Fast Money right here on CNBC. Back right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. China Tech making a big comeback today. Check out shares of Tencent Music, Baidu, Didi. Even Alibaba managed to end the day with gains after spending most of the session in negative territory. So, uh, Tim, how do you look at these moves? And in particular, the move or the underperformance on a relative basis of Alibaba? Right. So Baba, I think, got below that 155. It actually traded down near 150 intraday before a, a quick reversal. Uh, at that point, was it was down about 50 percent off of those highs that it had set. And you know, really, we're at 15-month lows. Um, some of this is getting to a place where on valuation people, you know, you get to these places where you say, 
oh my gosh, I didn't think I could, I would see it here. And if you look on a trailing basis, around 17 times PE for, for arguably the biggest addressable market tech company in the world. So, you know, but we, we've tried to handicap, we've tried to debate, we've tried to actually uh, put the valuation of the, the Chinese government here. And, and I think you really still have issues on headwinds. I think you can see a bounce here. It's not all in back in the pool. And I think the same thing, the Tencent media, uh, excuse me, yeah, streaming ultimately TME ticker is, is something I think is even more of a concern just because of the nature of that business. And it's more specific, even though they've also had such a leadership position. So I don't think it's time to jump back into China tech. I do think you're getting to a place where a lot of investors who who will react to valuations getting so cheap, they didn't think they'd see it here, are jumping in. Yeah, you know, the headline that caught my attention today is that ByteDance, um, that the Chinese authorities were taking a board seat in an equity stake, and, and the information was reporting that they're not going to stop there, that it's going to be Tencent, it's going to be Alibaba. That changes the game. I mean, that really changes the game. We've been talking about this for months now, that they're not going to kill their champions. They're basically making them SOEs, state-owned enterprises, the way that they own some of these other... I mean, not really, but... Is that just a formalization of what we believed was happening anyway, Maybe, though? but Mel, we all kind of just, like, we're hoping it wasn't really happening. And we had a lot of bulls telling us it wasn't happening. And so, I mean, to me, I think that, like, the game has changed. Now, these stocks are down 50% or something like that. I mean, they've taken, uh, you know, a big hunk out of them. I just think it's a really interesting thing. We'll see. Maybe when we get one more announcement at Alibaba or Tencent, maybe that's when you go and you buy that K-Web guy. I think you can buy Alibaba today. I'm starting with Tim on this one. You can't see a bounce. Traded 83 million shares. Typically trades 18. You had that huge reversal. First time we've seen that in a while. And this is a stock that can literally rally 15 to 20% from here and still be in this huge downtrend since Halloween boo of last year. So I think you can buy the bounce here. The first tradable bounce I think you've seen in a while on Alibaba. It's already Halloween season. Pardon me? It's Halloween season. No, 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 false. Um, Let's just talk it. No, no, you can't just say that and just, it's not. You get me to September, we'll have a conversation about Halloween season. Today, last I looked, is still Augie. (laughs) Brian Kelly, I heard on Friday that Fast Money started with a global lead. And you basically said you weren't looking abroad for opportunities. Could this be the exception? Could China present value at this point, China tech specifically? No, it could not. I mean, you can you can trade it if you want. I mean, in Dan's words, have at it. But I think I would agree with Dan that in the in the sense that China has told you they do not care about you as a shareholder. So why would you want to hold any of their shares? I mean, they're going to put more people on the boards. They're going to turn these into state-owned, and they may actually stop trading. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But as an investor, how can I hold those shares? I I don't think you can. If, to me, if you want to play a China recovery, then look towards copper, maybe buy FCX. That would be the way to play a China, China recovery, and you have protections of the U.S. markets, U.S. legal system, as opposed to China, which has weird, opaque structures, and they have overtly told you, we don't care about you. Well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Crypto Cruise is setting sail. Bitcoin briefly reclaiming the 50K mark. We dive into what's next. And it's not just about the coin. We're talking with an NFT investor on the latest in the space. Plus, chip stocks surging as NVIDIA hits a fresh all-time high. So what's behind this semi-skyrocket? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, 
Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bitcoin trading above $50,000 in early trade today for the first time in more than three months. The latest move coming higher. Um, Coming on the back of two key announcements, Coinbase saying last week that it would purchase $500 million in Bitcoin and today's announcement that PayPal will let users in the UK trade digital currencies. And uh, it seems like whenever it, it passes some sort of milestone, BK, then the calls for 100,000 start coming out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And even higher sometimes. Right. Momentum seems to get those price uh, price calls out there a lot. But let's remember what's happened here in Bitcoin. The seeds of this rally have been sowed weeks ago. And really what we've had is this adoption phase. That's what you're buying Bitcoin, is that it is going to be adopted versus regulatory headwinds. But when we had the budget deal and the crypto lobby became so strong, that changed the regulatory headwinds to what potentially could be a tailwind. So now if you're an institution, you're saying, oh, there's a strong crypto lobby. This is actually being adopted. And you look at a a survey from Deloitte, which came out last week, they're saying, 76% 76% of their respondents think that, uh, that physical assets and physical money is on the way out. And 73% think that if you're not in crypto blockchain, this new technology, you're going to be left behind. So you're firmly in the, hey, we are, this is being adopted. It's here to stay. But the good part is not everybody owns it yet because the market cap is too low. So which coins at this point do you think have the most value? Well, I mean, if I'm talking big caps, you've got to think about Ethereum. I mean, they just changed their monetary policy. They're going to what's called proof of stake. So now you can actually have a declining supply curve in uh, Ethereum as well. Everything is being built on it, right? So I've got DeFi built on it. We're going to talk a little bit about NFTs and bored apes. People will love to talk about that. That's being built on. So I like that. I also think you can look at some of the competitors out there, some of these that are gonna, you're going to build Web3 on. Solana is one, Polkadot, Atoms, all of which I'm a holder of. Yeah, Dan, um, that's an interesting thought that the crypto lobby has shown its strength in in squelching regulatory efforts. And so therefore, it may be safer to invest. We've heard a lot of people say that over the last week or so. We talked to Mike Novogratz from Galaxy Digital. He mentioned that the other day. And it's actually a really good case. Well, he said, while, you know, the news that we got wasn't particularly great, he he basically made the point that Washington heard this community uh, in in a big, big way. So listen, I'll, I'll just say this. You know, BK's made this amazing case for institutional adoption. He's been making it for years really since the crypto winter in 18 and 19. Well, it's here. And now we're seeing some really crazy speculation on the retail side, too. Those are the things that kind of make me a little nervous, not exactly about the coins, but maybe some of this NFT stuff in the near term reminds me a little bit of the ICO craze in 17 Uh, on the lead up to the highs there. All right. Well, the recent crypto boom has been a huge boon for the NFT space. That news uh, that Visa purchased a CryptoPunk NFT for $150,000, sparking a burst of transactions in the digital artwork that totaled more than $20 million in sales just in the hour after Visa announced the initial uh, purchase. Churnin Group operating partner Jared Dicker joins us now for a deeper dive into the growing NFT environment. Jared, great to have you with us. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, Dan was making the comparison to the ICOs. Obviously, a lot of them went away. Um, so how do you sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of NFTs, value, or, or just craze? 
Yeah, um, I'd say the biggest thing to focus on as it relates to NFTs is that for the first time in forever on the internet, um, there is now ownership for digital goods. You know, everything um, for the past 20 years has always been able to be replicated, whether that's music or art or content. And what the NFT model has really started to introduce is that there could be one of ones, things could be owned, they could be, uh, be distributed, and there's value against them. So I'd say the biggest difference between what we saw with ICOs, which was um, speculation around certain companies, and NFTs, which is the ownership of individual goods, is that this is really tying to a bunch of, uh, like a bunch of trends. We're seeing uh, status and identity tied to NFTs. We're seeing the ability to own and trade digital goods. Um, we're also seeing like the ability to open 24-7 markets around these digital collectibles and valuables. So I'd say the big difference and nuance here is that it is for the first time ever on the internet putting value on digital goods. Um, how do you determine, though, that buying a digital rock, let's say, is going to be <laughs> lasting value um, versus effectively buying the rights to a particular JPEG or the equivalent of one. I mean, I, th this may sound like really elementary, but to a vast you know, group of people out there, buying a digital rock just seems nuts. <laughs> it is absolutely early days. I mean, I'd say that we can say the same thing around certain things that are purchased in the physical world. Um, one way to really think about it is, as we transition from physical to digital in the internet age, we really lost a lot of the monetization models and the values that we used to put on things physically because in the digital world, those values were unable to be held. And now that we're seeing with NFTs and this kind of introduction of these digital goods holding values, we're starting to see a lot of those physical semblances start to come back into the internet and onto the web. So um, again, uh, some people love rocks, some people love bored apes, some people like crypto punks. A great way to think about it, um, especially for those that cannot understand why people would buy these things, is that um, status and identity are really kind of tied to these. Like, why do I wear a certain shirt or carry a certain bag when I'm walking down the street? People want to identify. They want to join certain communities and access by buying these certain things, whether it's a rock or a board ape and making that your profile, really brings a lot more value than just the digital good itself. It opens up community. It opens up conversation. Um, if you're an investor, it could open up deal flow. If you're looking to connect with other like-minded people, it really starts to give you access and social status. So uh, I think a way to think about it, too, is beyond just that individual value of that good, but what sort of status and identity that value starts to open up for individuals on the internet. Hey, hey Jared, can you give us a sense of how important this um, acquisition by Visa, a large corporate, um, you know, entering into this market is? Is it just a marketing ploy or are we going to see more corporates, big institutions, big holders, you know, get in and do this sort of thing? Or is this really going to be a retail driven um, craze here? It absolutely makes sense for Visa to get involved. I mean, NFTs are a new business model on the internet. I'd like to think about it the same way that we've seen advertising drive the growth of Facebook and Google or subscriptions drive the growth of Netflix and Spotify. The, for the first time in a long time, we have an entirely new native internet business model where companies and individuals can make money off of what the NFT is able to bring. So a company like Visa coming in that's really trying to focus on the future of commerce and transactions, it makes absolute sense for them to start um, start playing around and, and socializing the notion that this could be a new way to transact. This is kind of the new way of commerce. And I think we'll see more, uh, more institutions doing that as well. I mean, there's examples of things happening in the music world, um, really trying to rethink the notion of programmable royalties or tickets. 
and how artists make money and how venues make money. Um, we're seeing it across a variety of different institutions. And I think Visa's entry at this time is very smart. Um, I think it's very forward thinking, um, but I also think it makes absolute sense tied to their business model and being able to go into one, be able to explore and see what the phenomena is about and what value it brings, but two, really deeply understand how this future of commerce is going to move and have a say in it, I think is incredibly smart of them. In terms of the future of commerce and transactions, Jared, we talk about stocks. Um, so can NFTs be used in the stock market? I mean, it seems like that would be the easiest route to same day or almost instantaneous settlement? The way, uh, the way to think about NFTs, which I think even go beyond how the stock market is set up, is um, when Coinbase emerged and what Coinbase has really brought to value today is this notion of 24-7 markets, right? For the first time, individuals were able to purchase, trade, and hold currencies 24-7, regardless of when the market opens and closes, they were able to engage. And I think we're seeing that same thing spill over to a bunch of different markets. I mean, we at TCG did an investment in a company called Zedrun, which is a virtual horse racing platform, 24-7 <laughs> horse racing, where consumers could buy uh, and purchase horses. They could train them. Um, they could race them and both share in the upside um, and also be able to kind of transact on individual races. So I'd say there's definitely some sort of connection and value that NFTs could bring to the stock market. But I think what we're seeing more of, especially as we're seeing things outside of the financial sector, is that this notion of 24-7 markets is now attainable, and we'll see it go beyond financial into sports, entertainment, music, and so on. Jared, great to speak with you. Hope you come back soon. Thank you so much. Jared Dicker. Uh, yes, Mel. Well, if I were to get into the virtual horse racing business, I'd be the schmo that have to clean out the virtual stables, which is a job that nobody wants. This is so beyond my scope. Let me say quickly, though, don't dismiss for a fact that so much of what we've been talking about in terms of crypto, NFTs, do not fall at the feet of now central bankers globally who have flooded the world with, with liquidity. And this, to me, is the aftermath of all that. It makes perfect sense in that context. Brian Kelly, how do you separate value from craze, hype, et cetera, in this marketplace. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I agree with Dan that the frenzy around these remind me very much of the ICO frenzy. And we don't have the legal structures around this that we probably would want to have if you're really going to transact uh, for art. However, you asked the question about how stocks can benefit from this. Think about a company like Nike. They could actually put digital Air Jordans out there that somebody could buy and wear around online. And so now you don't only have the direct-to-consumer, but you have this digital channel. Everything that Nike sells can now be digitized. And so that can add to the bottom line. To me, that's where I think the promise of NFTs for corporations are, as opposed to buying a rock or a board ape or whatever else anybody wants to buy. Right. I mean, use in the metaverse. That's in the one, metaverse, right? exactly. Yep, in the metaverse. All right, coming up, the oil slick clearing up a cr uh, crude, snapping a seven-day losing streak. We're pumping into the energy trade in just a few. But first, it's not just energy gaining power. Chip stocks ripping higher at the SMA Semiconductor ETF, climbing nearly 3%. More details on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out NVIDIA topping the tape today and surging to a fresh all-time high. The chipmaker helping bump the SMH Semiconductor ETF nearly 3% today. So what of this rally today, Tim? 
Look, extraordinary. But since they gave those numbers and they reaffirmed that the strength that they've seen in gaming and data center, the stocks had reason to, to rally. And can, by the way, you know, semis, we talk about a, a lot how they've really been the chart to follow to get market direction. And if you look at NVIDIA, it's outperformed the, the SMH or the semiconductor ETF by 32 percent over the last three months and 32 percent year to date. So, you know, the story here is very, very exciting. I, I would point to the fact that gaming and data center are three and a half billion dollar businesses each. This is a company that has been delivering on growth. And this isn't remember when we talked about this as a crypto story, et cetera. Um, fortunately, I think for, for investors, that's not really the foundation for where the excitement is of this stock. Not cheap. Um, and certainly some delays around the, the, the arm transaction may be things that have people a little worried, although uh, I think that thing gets done as well. We talked about it on August 19th when we reported. We said this will be the quarter to take the stock through, make a new all-time high, and you obviously saw it today. And I still think analysts are going to have to start raising their price targets. I think the high one I've seen is about 230. Don't be surprised over the next couple of weeks if you don't see people start to ratchet those up as well. I think the stock now is at the next level to break out from, and I still like the name here. Well, it broke out. I mean, if they better do more than raise their price targets. You're going to have to raise their estimates because for the out year next year, estimates for earnings and sales growth are about 12% year over year. The stock trades at 48 times earnings and 19 times sales, $550 billion market cap. Great story. I said this on the 19th, Guy, and you were right. I mean, you said this is the sort of guidance that's going to break it out. You got to see estimates get higher here. I just think the hurdle is really high at this point. Yeah. Brian Kelly, how are you feeling about chips? Yeah, I think you have to like them. You don't want to get in front of this freight train. I've liked NVIDIA for a long time now. Um, and what you're seeing with NVIDIA and ASML and a couple of these other chip names, they are the beneficiaries of all the shortages we're seeing. People want their product. They have money to pay for their product. And obviously, based on their earnings, they are getting those orders in. At some point in time, you know, with a P.E. north of 50, I believe it is, it gets expensive. But that's a problem for another time. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, these valuations only matter until they do. Right now, it's all about what their forward looking earnings are going to be. And then people can put whatever multiple on it that they want. I'm still I still like them all. All right. Coming up, crude's comeback, energy stocks surging on the back of the rally in oil prices. But should you be pumping into that trade? We'll dive into that next. And we're building up to Toll Brothers earnings tomorrow. How options traders are laying out the foundation for that report. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil prices rebounding in a big way today with crude soaring more than 5%, its biggest gain since March. The move snaps a seven-day losing streak and brought energy stocks along for the ride. Shares of ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Schlumberger, Marathon, Occidental, all posting strong gains in today's session. Tim Seymour, you, you buy this move? I do buy the move. And, and look, it's been a painful period, especially for OIH and oil services names if you look at the E&Ps, uh, I stress that these companies are being run differently. So first of all, we're talking about companies, many of these companies in the E&P space, uh, like an EOG, have 10% or better free cash flow yields, are trading at you know, three to four times and have less than one times leverage. I mean, these are companies that are actually starting to initiate buybacks even before they get into you know, their their. Uh, big capital markets programs. And I think they are being run for equity investors. So I realize the market has not rewarded these names, but at 60 to $65 oil, these companies are very free cash flow generative. So um, I do think there's a place for investors to be investing in a number of the best of breed companies here. And I like this bounce. I think it goes further. Yeah. Brian Kelly, you have to believe that the dollar is going to remain 
tame. I mean, part of the reason for the seven-day losing streak in the first place was a stronger dollar, dollar at nine-month highs, basically. Yeah, I mean, assuming, assuming that a stronger dollar isn't a reflection of a stronger global economy, I would agree with that. Um, but to, to Tim's point, I think you do have to buy this and you look at what the big, you know, the large cap oil names are. They remind me very much of the tobacco stocks, right? They have some segment of the investing community that can no lo- cannot own them any longer, but they're still generating a ton of cash. And then I look at the oil side of it. There's both a demand and a supply aspect here, right? So we've got China, which has now decided to bail out the people as opposed to their companies. And then you've got OPEC, who has said, hey, wait a second, Delta came along. Maybe we're not going to increase supply that much. So those two dynamics, at least at the very least, seem to be holding oil up above a certain level, which should be good for all the dividends and capital return plans that the large cap oil stocks have. I agree. I mean, I think you see just even if it's a trading bounce in some of these names, you know, we talk about PSX, which traded up to 95. I thought it was going 100. And you wake up a couple weeks later, it's trading in the low 60s. But you can get a trading bounce on a lot of these names. The one that sticks out to me, though, sort of is Halliburton here from 25 to 19, seemingly in a straight line. I think that stock could bounce here as well, Mel. All right. Coming up, options traders building up on Toll Brothers. The home builder gears up for earnings tomorrow. We've got the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast money back in two. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to the sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Lyft. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, we are tracking what could be a big moment for the housing trade. Toll Brothers reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. Options traders are positioning themselves around the tape. Mike Co joins us now with the setup. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so today in the options market, we saw Toll Brothers traded more than five times the average daily call volume and calls significantly outpaced puts by almost four and a half to one. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5.7% by the end of the week. That's in line with the average move over the last eight reported quarters. And the most active options were the weekly 60 strike calls. We saw over 1,800 of those trading for an average price of about $1.60. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that Toll is going to exceed that $60 strike price by at least the $1.60 that they paid. And that would push the stock price above the highs that we saw a week ago. Obviously, it's declined about 3.5% or thereabouts since then. But it does seem like options traders right now, for the most part, are betting that the news will be good. This is an interesting one. Obviously, they're more positioned to the higher end sort of markets. They also have a sizable footprint in the urban areas. Tim, how are you feeling about Toll versus the rest of the home builders? You know, it's traded cheap for a long time. I, I you know, I, I think there's a reason ultimately that you've had some of that. It, some of it is just about supply. Some of it is about affordability. Some of it is really, you know, where I think they can actually meet their buyers. So I, if I'm investing in the home builders, I, look, I, I love the XHB because it's not really home builders. It's everything else. Or, or so it now appears. You have floor and decor. You have Johnson Controls. You have, uh, you have train. You have carrier. You have Home Depot. You have Masco. Um, and I think that's the part of the trade that makes a lot more sense because it also gets you into home improvement and people just seeing increased equity values in their homes and rates at zero where they can borrow against that. So uh, that's the trade. And that ETF is a great way to play it. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. But I'd say the ITB, which is more heavy home builders, if you look at what lumber's done down 70 percent back to pre-pandemic levels, if that was a big cause for maybe some of those uh, kind of supply shocks or whatever, um, you know, that might be a reasonable thing. I, I think that Mike outlined, you know, the near term 60 calls. I mean, investors with rates down here, I think it looks like they're just kind of playing for a break out of the range that stock has been in after earnings with better commentary. 
How are you feeling about Home Depot these days? It's an amazing that it's moved to the downside. I think people yeah. are finally focused on valuation for the first time in a while. And I understand that, but I don't think anything's fundamentally changed other than the way the stock is traded. So I think you can buy Home Depot here. With that said, I never thought it would trade as low as it did recently. Yeah. Brian Kelly, where are you on, on the consumer's power in the home trade? Yeah, well, I think it's, I think certainly Home Depot, it's waning at the very least. I do actually find Toll Brothers interesting. If you can look past the urban exposure that they have, the exposure they have in the high end is really interesting because we know that's doing well and we know that they have the ability to build and to sell in some of these Zoom towns. And so to me, if I'm looking at that, I want to be skewed more towards the higher end. A Zoom, did you say a Zoom town? I did say a Zoom town, a town that's, that's booming because now everything can be done via Zoom. Hmm. So everybody just stays in their homes first. there? The Zoom lives. town, right. All right. Uh, Mike Coe, thank you for that. For more options action, the full show is on Fridays, every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, you've got your final trades. the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Again, the oversold industrials and transports, but I like the XLI, a bounce off the 50 and the 100 day today. I think you have some room. At BK, Brian Kelly. Yeah, so in spite of the sell-off in copper, the fundamentals still seem to have gotten much better, but I think you play it versus with Freeport Mac. Dan. Yeah, Walmart last week, good quarter, good guidance. Maybe get a new high in the not-so-deep future. Breaking out. Guy. The Yankees of New York play the Braves of Atlanta tonight in Atlanta. Regardless of outcome, I am a happy person. Some people understand what that means. Z-scaler <laughs> into earnings on the back of this PANW news. I'll just wonder what that means. Thanks for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.